I'm Will Baker, president of the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. Welcome to Turning the Tide, Saving Chesapeake Bay, our podcast series that we do every two weeks. And I'm delighted to be joined today by Chris Moore, our senior scientist from Virginia. Chris works out of the Brock Environmental Center in Virginia Beach, but he's all over the state and all over the bay at any given time. And wh where are you today, uh, Chris? Today I'm up in Ocean City, Maryland. Uh, this area hosts a big trade show for watermen each uh, January, and it's one of the events that CBS likes to work in order to connect with the watermen that we work with so much throughout the year. That's great. Good deal. And you've got other staff there as well. We do. Uh, Bill Goldsboro, who's our senior fishery scientist this year, and Carl Willie, who runs our oyster restoration programs in Maryland here as well. Good luck. Well, great, great, great to have you on the show, and uh, we appreciate it. So today we, we want to really focus on flooding and the impacts it has on our rivers and streams, our communities, uh, and the Chesapeake Bay as a whole. And, and before we, we start talking about the Chesapeake, uh, we just have to uh, think about, uh, be concerned for, and send our sympathies to all the folks in the Midwest, uh, the Mississippi River drainage basin, and other areas of the Midwest that have had such an incredible, difficult time this January. It's, it's really been extraordinary, hasn't it, Chris? It has. You know, really unprecedented um, in terms of the scale and unfortunately, both the, the destruction in terms of people's lives, but the economic destruction as well. I think I think there's a lot of connections to climate change. Some people uh, are concerned when you make a connection between a direct uh, meteorological uh, weather event and climate change. But at the very least, uh, we can say that this sort of activity, that flooding and the damage from floods and things like that are the sort of thing that we're going to experience a lot more of uh, as climate change uh, and the impacts of it get worse in the future. Agreed. Well, well, let let's let's come to the Chesapeake uh, watershed, uh, Chris. We've we've had flooding events from the Susquehanna River to Baltimore to Washington D.C. Uh, to the Smith and Tangier Island, the low-lying islands in the Bay, to Richmond, and certainly down to your part of the watershed in Norfolk. Tell us a little bit about some of the causes and some of the impacts. Sure. Uh, some of the events that we've had down here in Virginia are, I think, what most people typically uh, associate flood events with. Very high rainfalls, in some cases over very short periods of time. Uh, we saw a tremendous uh, flood through Richmond a number of years ago due to the remnants of a tropical system that came through and dumped just a tremendous amount of rain on a very short period of time. And in fact, it actually flooded behind the river embankment they had uh, had built to protect the the, uh, the city uh, from the overflow of the James River. And, and like I said, in that case, the water just couldn't get to the river fast enough and flooded uh, much of the old historic downtown. In other cases, we see events like we had earlier this year where we had a tropical system combined with some other weather systems to basically set up a very prolonged nor'easter type event uh, in Hampton Roads. And we saw water levels uh, basically from water being pushed into the lower Chesapeake Bay um, from the ocean and then back up the tributaries, um, as high as we've seen during some of the major uh, tropical events. 
that we've seen in the Hampton Roads area. And unlike tropical events that come and go fairly quickly, it was very much a prolonged event. Uh, the worst of it was over about a four-day period, and so we suffered the effects of that, and, and, and it stayed for a very long period of time. You actually reminded me of that flood in Richmond. There were about six or seven of us in the Richmond office that day. We had 11 inches of rain over about nine hours, and we all spent the night in the office because the streets were literally, we were looking down at the streets at cars floating by in Shaco Slip. It was extraordinary. It really was. It really was. I think that surprised so many people because of the fact that you expect the, the flooding to come from the river. And in this case, it was you know, a, a great example, unfortunately, of so much rainfall hitting and so many impervious surfaces being in place now that that rain just had nowhere to go and uh, unfortunately caused that type of dramatic uh, incident like you saw with the cars floating down the street. When, when we think about flooding here on the Chesapeake, there, there are really two sources or two reasons we, we have floods. One is certainly sea level rise and the impact on low-lying areas like Smith and Tangier Island, Washington, D.C., and certainly where you live and work in Hampton Roads. And then the other is what we've been talking about, more flow down the rivers, which back up the storm drains, overwhelm the natural drainage systems. So both of these can work in tandem. Maybe let's start with sea level rise for a second. Describe what we're experiencing on the bay, what causes it, and, and how does it relate to other parts of the country? Sure. Well, most of our sea level rise here in the Hampton Roads region is really due to two reasons. Uh, one is the thermal expansion of water due to climate change. As the water basically has gotten warmer, it's expanded, and therefore it's, it's being uh, pushed higher and higher up against our shorelines. One of the other big reasons here in the Hampton Roads region that we have sea level rise is what we call land subsidence. And basically our land is sinking primarily due to the impact crater that struck uh, the lower Chesapeake Bay region many millions of years ago, uh, but also because of our water withdrawals. Um, as we've withdrawn a tremendous amount of groundwater due to industries in our region, the land also is sinking because of that reason as well. Yeah, I've heard a lot about this, especially on the eastern shore and some of the uh, large uses of water from either the uh, manufacturing, the poultry industry, um, agriculture, literally reducing the water table and the land is starting to, to drop down. It is. It's become a, a huge issue, not only due to the land subsidence issue, but it's become a very big economic issue for us as well. Uh, our industries uh, may not have the water in the future that they need to re maintain uh, their viability, but also we're becoming very concerned about the human health aspect of this and making sure that the communities that are relying upon groundwater, safe groundwater to drink, have that as well. And 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 talk a little bit about um, the human impact that you've seen really day-to-day, month-to-month, year-to-year in Hampton Roads. I mean, it's, it's almost become something that people expect, isn't it, when you get rain over an inch or two? That's true. And it's not only just rain events now. Our infrastructure in a number of different places, especially in the city of Norfolk, is flooded at least two or three times a month due to just the full moon tides that we have. 
And I think that's a great example of Norfolk is a, a city that primarily was built over 100 years ago. And since that time, we've seen sea levels rise over a foot. And therefore, roadways and uh, walkways and things like that that were built to be well above the water level through the all-tide cycles 100 years ago or so are now succumbing to flooding on a fairly regular basis. And we have roadways that the city has had to mark to show how high the flood waters are. We have people that modify their commuter routes uh, on a monthly basis in order not to drive through salt water. And uh, we have people who are having to make changes in the way they manage their lawn because they're being flooded on such a regular basis. Yeah, and, you know, it, it's a, it's funny that some of the cynics will actually say, well, wh- why are you concerned with that as an environmentalist? You, I, I would think this would be good. It's creating more wet land, wetlands. But, in fact, uh, sea level rise, the impact of flooding, the impact of all that we're talking about really does destroy natural wetlands, doesn't it? It does. It, uh, it unfortunately drowns out the natural wetlands that we have now, and we've seen that happen uh, throughout the region. And unfortunately, in developed areas especially, a lot of the wetlands have, in some ways, uh, their retreat, basically, landward has been stopped by human development. And so, therefore, instead of that land retreating and moving back landward and creating new wetlands, unfortunately, we are in a situation where those wetlands no longer have a place to retreat to, and we lose that incredibly valuable wetland habitat. Yeah, and of course, if it if it takes centuries for these changes to occur, then the habitat can adapt. But what's happening is it's going coming so quickly that they simply can't uh, react and adapt uh, quickly enough. We're certainly seeing that at one of the great wetland areas on the bay, the Blackwater National Wildlife Refuge. That is, it's it's one of the habitats that I think we've really been able to use to educate. Uh, not only the citizens of the region, but elected officials as well, as uh, this is something that's really happening, and here are the very visual impacts of that. Uh, here in Hampton Roads, uh, a good example is Fish House Island, which is located just across from the Brock Environmental Center, CBS headquarters in Hampton Roads now, and that is an island that over really just the last 20 to 25 years has gone from something that was a hazard of navigation in some cases had a tremendous amount of uh, wetland grasses on top of it. And now the only reason any of it's still there is because actually the concrete rubble from an old bridge uh, across the mouth of the uh, Lindhaven River protects just a very small part of that. Otherwise, that island would be completely gone. And, of course, the one thing we haven't talked about yet is the impact on water quality from more and more uh, storms, the sorts of things that add additional pollutants to the rivers, to the streams, and to the bay itself. That, that's very true. You know, our, our stormwater systems, in a lot of cases, aren't set up to handle these events. And what we end up doing is resuspending uh, a lot of the pollutants, whether it's nitrous and phosphorus, um, that we obviously are so focused on in terms of the Chesapeake Bay blueprint, or whether it's things like bacteria, fecal coliforms, that unfortunately can cause sickness not only for humans, uh, but also they can be captured by the filtering mechanisms of our shellfish. And obviously we have a, a growing shellfish industry here in the region that we want to protect and continue to see that expand. But when we have these big storm events, we in many cases have to close those shellfish beds in order to protect human health. So flooding and all the impacts, whether it be economic, 
human health, environmental. What, Chris, can we really do about it? What, what are some of the measures that we can bring forward and put in place as solutions to mitigate the impact uh, while hopefully in the long, long term, uh, we as a society begin to address uh, climate change? Well, I think fortunately we're still at a place where we have lots of options. And depending upon where you are in the watershed, um, you can pick the option that's most applicable to you. Uh, one of the things that we have been focused on a lot in the Hampton Road area are living shorelines in order to make sure those shorelines can retreat or they can be engineered in such a way that at sea level rise, you can continue to build those up so you can protect those valuable wetland habitats. In other places, we're allowing land to convert or we're building structures that will allow uh, water to infiltrate uh, both floodwaters and stormwaters. And, and really protect infrastructure and, in some cases, take away areas that are uh, negative for water quality because they're, they're being flooded so regularly. And the pollutant loads that are on those areas end up washing back into our waterways very quickly. Um, other things that we're looking at is trying to make sure we infiltrate as much water as possible. Things that we've done, like previous pavers that we've implemented uh, here in Virginia Beach at the Brock Environmental Center, uh, for our roadway and for part of our parking lot, uh, that's another great opportunity for localities to infiltrate more water and not have it end up as floodwaters uh, as it's trying to get to its local receiving water body very quickly. Yeah, when you think about it, it's really come full circle, hasn't it? Because in the early parts of the last century, as we tried to develop our areas of living and working and um, and transportation, the whole concept was getting stormwater off the streets off the paved surfaces as quickly as possible. Now so much has been developed that that actually is uh, a strategy that's causing problems. What we want to do is slow the rainwater, the stormwater down, uh, let it infiltrate through natural filters, and thereby address not only flooding but also improve the uh, environmental or the, the water quality aspects. That's really true, especially in times where we have both coastal flooding from a storm event and also a lot of precipitation um, included with that. If we can infiltrate that precipitation or at least hold it back and allow it to uh, infiltrate more slowly over the next uh, two, three, four days, we can really reduce that combination of precipitation flooding and tile flooding at the same time. And that's only going to benefit us from a infrastructure point of view, a public safety point of view, uh, but it's also going to give us uh, healthier waterways as well. And it gives us more green areas in our cities and our communities, and uh, the aesthetic value and the quality of life value improves as well. So it's a, it's a win-win-win. Very much so. So, Chris, uh, as we wrap up, anything else you'd like to add? Yes, I would say that homeowners, people who are in businesses, they have a lot of opportunities to be part of this effort. Um, no matter how small the project may be, it's not too small to help us in terms of reducing the threat from flooding, helping us infiltrate more water, and helping us reduce the pollutant load to our water bodies. Things like rain barrels, putting pervious pavers on your driveway instead of putting concrete down, uh, doing uh, a patio with previous pavers, uh, thinking about small section of green roofs. Uh, those are all little opportunities that people have in their community 
that will lead uh, lead us to a, a much healthier Chesapeake Bay uh, and healthier local waterways as well. Well, those are all great ideas, and many of them, if not more, can be found on our website, cbf.org. So for Chris Moore, senior scientist in our Virginia office, and Will Baker, president of the Chesapeake Bay Foundation, thank you very much, and please tune in again in two weeks for our podcast series, Turning the Tide, Saving the Chesapeake Bay. <music>